0: 11 and we are going to be in verses 2 through 16 and uh, this is a continuation of last week's lesson uh, where we covered verses 2 through 5 um, so the title of our lesson is the head covering and the head covering as i said last week i i wanted to get in and out of this really quickly and move on and uh wasn't able to do it so had to stretch it out into into two weeks um so uh, let's start out here. Whether you realize this or not, our culture in our society hates gender distinctions. Can we get an amen out of that. They, they hate it. Um, our American culture hates any indication, any kind of teaching, anything at all that says there are different roles for men and different roles for women and they literally will reject anyone and anything that that teaches that. Um, I mean I know this morning if I took this lesson and I went to the public library and taught it, they would laugh me out of the room. I mean they literally would laugh me out of the room. But we live in a culture now that literally is talking about sending girls into battle. That that is that I mean I I I, th- I saw a thing yesterday. The Marines are now recruiting girls sports teams. They're going into girls' sports teams to recruit. We, our, our children now, I, you see it all the time. Women are looking for unisex clothing. They want to be able to go girls' clothes with trucks and, and things like that on they I read one the other day. They want to buy boys uh, with little hearts on it. I mean, they're, 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 they're wanting to mix and match. We, we laud now and praise the homosexual and the transsexual. We, we're teaching children now they can choose their own gender. I mean, society hates this idea that there are certain things that men can do that women can't do, certain things that women should do that men can't do. They 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 completely reject that, and the culture's war on gender has even moved into our Bible translations. I look, I've got a, a program that I look at that gives me all the different translations, and I. I went and looked at it. This is the New International Version, or today's New International Version. This is Hebrews 2.6, and, and Hebrews 2.6 is a very familiar verse. It says, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? And they've completely removed the gender distinctions, and they rewrote it. Now it says, What are mere mortals that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? And so they just, if you go through, that's just one example. It's like that throughout the whole translation. They Anything that refers to him or her or he or she has been completely removed, and, and there's no gender distinctions in there, in there at all. But the fact is, as Christians, you and I, we have to develop a biblical view of masculinity and femininity. We cannot let a culture that has rejected God that has rejected his word, you cannot let that culture define for you what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. You just can't do that. They've thrown God completely out of the picture and said this is the way it is. And you've got to be very careful you don't let that... You've you got to let God's word define for you masculinity and femininity. You cannot let the, the culture do that for you. But in order for us to understand... God's design for our gender, what He expects from us, we also have to understand its ultimate purpose. And that is exactly what today's passage is is all about. You see, God wants to use our gender to glorify Him. He designed our gender roles to bring glory to Him. And we saw this two weeks ago. To glorify God means that we put on display His attributes... Right? We put on display his ways, his design. We want the world to see through us what God is like. And one of the ways that he's designed to to bring glory to him is through our gender, through being a man and through being a woman. And, folks, if we don't do that in church, I mean, if if, if, if we don't do it anywhere else, we should do it in the Lord's house. I mean, come on. And that's what Paul is going to be going to be talking about, about here today. So I want to do a quick review for those of you that weren't here of last week's lesson so you kind of know what, what this is all about. So as we mentioned last week, this is a hard passage. So 1 Corinthians eleven two 2 through 16 is a hard passage. And it's a hard passage because of the cultural differences that have changed over 2,000 years. I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult. But the the gist or the main meaning of the passage is is pretty straightforward and pretty clear. It is teaching God's order and design for the roles in a marriage relationship. The roles of a man and the roles of a woman. That's pretty clear. In fact, Paul states it right off the bat in verse 3. He says this, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So he, he sets up a hierarchy of authority and submission. You've got God the Father, God the Son, then the man, then the woman. And he said, I want you to understand this is the way God has designed it, okay? And, and, and as we said last week, that does not mean... In fact, notice the word he uses there, husband and wife. He's not saying that, that every woman is to submit to every man. He's not saying every man has authority over every woman. That's not the point. The point is the marriage relationship, the husband and the wife. And and Paul goes on and says, you know, if you read just as the father and the son are equal, they're equal in nature, they're equal in essence, they're one and the same, yet the son has chosen to submit to the father. It's exactly the same way with a husband and wife. There's no inequality. The, The husband and wife are exactly the same in essence, in nature, in intellect, in ability, in ability, that's what Galatians 3.28 says. There's neither male or female in Christ Jesus. It's not talking about physical. Of course, there's, there's physical male and female. But it's saying spiritually, there's no difference between you. God sees you exactly the same. But he has asked the woman to, to move into a role of submission and the man into a role of authority. So there's no inequality. That's, that's not what he's saying at all, just as there is no inequality between God the Father and and God the Son. So, that's kind of the meaning of the passage is it's the roles of a man and a woman in the marriage relationship. Now, last week we talked about this, what was going on in Corinth that would necessitate Paul writing this passage? Well, in Paul's day, and we got this this is a this is tricky because there's not a whole lot of historical information here. But in Paul's day, a head covering was one of the symbols that a woman would wear to, to symbolize her subordination or her submission to her, to her husband. Now, in that day, it was most likely a veil. Now, we don't know that for sure. It could have been a, one of a scarf or something like that. But the idea was that a woman would wear some kind of head covering. A wife would wear some kind of head covering. And it would symbolize that she was married. It would symbolize that she was in a a subordinate relationship to her husband. We also know that in that day, women had long hair. Okay, we talked about this last week. In fact, it was considered shameful for a woman to cut her hair. Now, it's not like that anymore. That's all changed. But in that day, culturally, you just did not cut your hair. It would be like today. Men do not wear dresses. Men do not paint their nails. Right? Now, I'm not saying there's not a few out there that do it. Right? But culturally, it's just not done. And when you see somebody that does that, if you saw a man wearing a dress, you'd say, what would you say? Right? Immediately, it says something to you. There's something wrong here. Well, in that day, if you saw a woman cut her hair, immediately you said, there's something wrong with her. You just did not do that. Culturally, it just did not happen. Now, around that time, a feminist movement and a women's liberation movement began to arise in the Roman Empire. And you, and as I said last week, you couldn't blame them. Women were treated like dirt back then. You couldn't blame them for doing what they did. And so women began to protest against all the inequalities that were going on in that culture. And as part of this movement, some women wanted to symbolize the throwing off of of the tyranny of the men they wanted to symbolize the fact that i'm not we're not i'm not going to put up with that anymore and one of the things that they did to symbolize their freedom to symbolize their protest was what they would cut their hair like a man and they would take off their head coverings you see in that that day there was no pants and, and dresses everybody dressed the same Everybody wore the same clothes. What distinguished a man from a woman, what distinguished a woman's femininity was her head covering and her long hair. So if a woman wanted to protest and say I'm not going to I'm not going to walk in that role anymore, one of the ways she would do it is she'd cut her hair and take off her head covering. It was a, it was a rebellion, it was a symbol, right? So it and it's very likely that some of the women in the church at Corinth were influenced by that movement. And possibly as a sign of protest or a sign of independence, they began to take off their head coverings, even in church, even when they would pray, even when they would, would prophesy. So it was, a, it was a sign of rebellion, okay? Now, remember, we already know what the passage is about. The passage, Paul's already said, is fulfilling our God-given roles inside of, of marriage. Now... Paul stated that in verse 3. Now he wants to apply this to a real-world scenario. So he adds this in verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovers dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Now, everybody reads that passage, and your first question is, does this mean that women should cover their heads in church? Does that mean you got to wear a veil or you got to wear a hat or you got to wear some kind of scarf or you got to cover your head? Well, as we saw last week, you miss if you if you ask that question, you miss the whole point. The point of the passage is not the head covering. How we dress changes from culture to culture. The length of our hair changes from culture to culture. It's the rebellion, that's the issue. It's the heart that's the issue, not what's on your head. You see, in Corinth, that rebellion was demonstrated by, we, by women taking off their, their head covering. In our culture, it could be demonstrated a, a different way. That's the point. That's what Paul is, is addressing here. You see, the gist of these verses is this. When the Corinthians pray and prophesy, which evidently both men and women did, they must give outward evidence that men have authority over the women. That's what he's saying. You, you can't throw off that evidence. You have to, when you're in the church, when you're praying and prophesying, you need to do it in a certain way that's applicable to your, to your roles. Every man should speak to the Lord, that's praying. And every man should speak for the Lord, that's prophesying, in the role of a man. And women should speak to and for the Lord in the role of a woman. God does not want those to be blurred. He wants those distinctions between male and female to be very, very clear, okay? In fact, watch what he says. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covers dishonors his head. Well, why? Because in that culture, that was what a woman did. Everybody with me? In that culture, it was women that covered their head. Paul says, why would, would a man who's supposed to be an authority take on the symbol of a submission? He said, that's shameful. You shouldn't do that. Be a man. Walk in the role that God has given you. And then he goes on to say this about a woman, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it's the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should just go ahead and cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair, shave her head, let her cover her head. Now, what's, what's he talking about there? Well, basically he's saying this. If you're going to throw off your head covering... If you're going to throw off a symbol of submission to your husband, then he said, just go ahead and shave your shave your hair off. Okay. Now, why would he say that? Well, in that day, remember, women did not cut their hair short, and there was no way they shaved their head. In fact, in that day, there was only three types of women that you'd find with short hair or a shaved head, only three. One of them was a, a feminist or a protester who was rebelling, another one was prostitutes, and the other one was disgraced women. Just normal, everyday, modest women—did n- you would never see that. But he says, if you're going to take off your head covering, then just go ahead and go all the way and shave your head off. If, if you're going to if you're going to rebel, just rebel all the way. That's what he's saying. Go ahead and shave. Go ahead and shave your head. That's what that's what that's about. So this is what Paul is saying to them. He's saying, look, in your society, God wants the distinction to be clear. Men are men, and they are in authority women are women and they are to be in submission to their husbands if your society has a custom or a norm by which that is symbolized then you need to abide by that custom that's that's what he's saying make sure outwardly people see it don't don't go looking for symbols to rebel against okay now that's very practical what paul says he's given us a principle and he's applied that principle now today i want to pick up where we left off last week, and that is now he's going to defend the principle, okay? He's going to go a little bit deeper. So let's ask Paul a question. All right, Paul, we see what you said there, right? Where do you get all this? <laughs> where, where are you coming up with this? Are you just, are you just dreaming this up, or are you just, are, you know, what's your reasoning? What, how can you, can, what can you tell us to kind of, so that we know this is, is true? Well, this is where the next verses come from. Look at verses 7 through 10. Paul says for. That word for means because. So he's defending what what he just said. All that stuff I just said, Paul says because. This is why. This is what he says. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man, and neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Okay? Now, I want to walk through that and try to figure out what it is he is saying. Let's look at verse 7. Paul says, "...for a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God." Now, we need to see what Paul's doing here. Paul is about to move beyond just a cultural thing. See, so far he's been dealing with kind of a cultural issue. And he said, okay, look, if your culture has a symbol for women that shows that they're under submission to their husband, then abide by that. Show the culture that you're in a a God-ordained role. But now he's going to move beyond a culture thing, and he is going to make a very broad and a very strong statement. You see, Paul's reasoning here for, for saying the things he's saying goes all the way back to creation. He is saying the man, and here he's not talking about mankind, he's talking about the male. I want you to see that. He's saying, the man, let's go back to verse 7, for a man, not mankind, he's talking about a male, he's saying, for a male ought not to cover his head, for he is the image and glory of God. You see, he's saying the man or the male was created to be the image and the glory of God. Now look at that word glory, and this relates exactly to what we talked about here about two or three uh, weeks ago. You see, this is, he's saying this is why, we, we said this two or three weeks ago, this is why man exists, not just the male, but man and woman. We exist to be the glory of God. And to be the glory of God means that we put God's attributes on display. That's what Christians are intended to do. Paul says in uh, 1031, whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, do it all to put God's glory on display. Make sure when people see you, they see his attributes, his love, his mercy, his empathy, his righteousness, his forgiveness, his faithfulness. Make sure you display that in your life. Well, now Paul is saying that the male was created to be the glory, the image and the glory of God, which means that every man, every male, was, is supposed to display the attributes of God. Now, let's go back to Genesis and see what he's talking about. In Genesis 1.26, there's a really interesting scripture. God says this, "...let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that um, creeps on the earth." Notice what, what God says. He says, "...let us make man and the, in our image." And then the first attribute that he mentions is dominion or authority. You see, the male was originally created in the moral and intellectual image of God. And part of that image, one of the attributes of God that a male is to put on display is authority. That's what, that's what God says, Adam, I'm going, to give you the, I'm going to give you dominion. Okay. You see, God created the male to rule over his world. And throughout history, that's exactly what men have done. Okay? Men have been the ones in charge because God delegated that authority and de- God delegated that responsibility to them. Therefore, Paul says, a man is to be uncovered. Why? Because covering is a divine symbol of submission. When you cover yourself, it's a sign of humility. It's a sign of an attitude of, of, submiss- of submissiveness. But God says, I created the man to be in authority. With that in mind, Paul's thinking, why would a man who's supposed to be an authority take on a symbol of submission by covering his head? Don't do that. That shouldn't be. A man should walk in the role of authority that God has given him. And when he does that, he puts, see, God, is God sovereign? See, is God ruling over everything? He says, okay, man, I created you in my image. Now go rule go rule over your world have authority over your world display my authority so when a man walks in authority he's displaying the image of God he's putting God on display he's glorifying God when he does that see this isn't just something God just thought you know what man I'll just create a man and I'll let him have authority and I'll do it. no no it's all about his glory it's all about putting him on display so when a man walks in the role with authority, he's honoring God. He's 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 glorifying God. I'm gonna be honest with you. When a man don't walk in authority, in my opinion, he's blaspheming God. He's blaspheming him. So it's very important that a man walk in authority because he's glorifying God. Now, is, is anybody? Getting, it's getting hot in here. I'm getting hot on this one right here. So let's get to the hard part. All right, let's read it again. (laughs) For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But, Paul says, now watch this. Woman is the glory of man. For a man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman was created for man. Now, i got to be honest with you. What in the world, especially that one? I, I, I of all the sentences and all the phrases in this passage, I meditated more on this one. I was out of town this week and spent a ton of time in airports, and I just sat there and thought about this over and over. What does it mean when it says that that man is the glory of God, but a woman was created to be the glory of man? I mean, I I, I read some things and I read some things, and for example, I I went out and I I, I thought. You know What does everybody else say about this? Well, I found one guy that said, well, we won't go there. Anyway, what does that mean, okay? Listen, I thought about this a lot. This is what I came up with. Man was formed to be a reflection of all that is good in his creator. Would we agree with that? But see, in turn, the woman was created to be a reflection of all that is good in the man. Let me say that again. Man was created to be a reflection of all that's good in his creator. But a woman is created to be a reflection of all that is good in the, in the man. I went back to, to Genesis and there's a, when you go back and you read through all that and you see what's going on, there's a really interesting scripture there. You know, there's a place where God creates Adam and Eve hadn't been created yet. And the Bible says he brings all the animals to him. And he says, I'm giving you dominion. You name them. You name what they are. And it says all these animals go through. But then in Genesis 2.20, it makes a really interesting statement. It says, but for for Adam, no suitable helper was found. If you look at other versions, the ESV says there was no helper fit for him. Other ones say there was no helper that complemented him. There was no helper that corresponded to him. But then I asked the question, I said, well, what did he need help with? Have you ever asked that? What is it that Adam actually needed help with? You know, obviously he needed help to, to, to uh, uh, populate the world, right? He wasn't going to do much of that all by himself, so he needed help with that. But, and that, that's a good thing, but I saw another guy I read, he said, oh, he needed help working the garden. I'm like, really? That, that just made no sense to me at all. But see, it all goes back to me, what, what was Adam created for? What was he created for? What's he... He just said he's created for the image and the glory of God. He is supposed to reflect God, is he not? We just said that. That's what man's supposed to do. So what does he need help with? He needs help with that. He needs help in being the image and the glory of God. You see, there's something about the woman that completes him, that enhances him, that improves him in a way that allows him to be what he's intended to be. Without her, he cannot do that. See, she she reflects him in a way. In, in that marriage relationship, he's able to see things in her and through her that makes him a better and a more complete man. I, I can tell you, I don't know about other men, but I know in my marriage that I would not be who I am without Kathy. Because in that relationship, I'm able to see things when I'm. It, it's like she. Ref, am I making any sense here? <laughs> It's really hard to put into words, to be quite honest with you. But there's something about that relationship that, that without her, I just think, I mean, I've said this a million times, I just think women are so much better than men. I really do. I remember me and Henry argued about that one time. But they're just, they're just great, right? I mean, I really think they are. There's just something about them that without them, I just think men would go crazy. I really do. There's just something about them that reflects who we really are and it makes me want to be a better man. It it takes things in me that are not so good, and it makes them better. Does that make sense? See, that's what she's created for. It reflects you in in a way. It helps Adam, it helps Derek, it helps every man in this room be the image and glory of God. And And he can't do that without the woman. And that's why Paul goes on to say in verse 10, now this is even harder, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Now, what does that mean? Well, I mean, why would a woman's head covering be important to, to, to angels? I, I don't know, to be quite honest with you. Um, we do know this. We know that the angels watch and learn from us. In 1 Peter 1.12, uh, it says this, And now the good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. See what, the Bible tells us that in our marriage relationships, in this idea of a, a man in the role of authority and the woman in the role of submission, the Bible says even the angels are watching, eagerly watching. And if there's anybody that knows anything about submission, it's angels, they're servants, are they not? Aren't they constantly doing the bidding of the Father? See, and they're watching us. God has put His attributes on display in the gender of a man and a woman. And the Bible says that the the angels are watching. They're eagerly watching how this is all going to play out. So I think the point here is this. If even celestial beings like angels are watching you and I to see if we're going to walk in the roles, how much more should we be an example for our fellow men? How much more should we be walking out God's design and God's attributes in our marriages and in our lives if even the angels are watching? You see, God is honored when women pray and prophesy in such a way that they display their submission to male authority. And God is also honored when the, man, when the men display that authority. And by the way, if you're here and you're a man, don't ever forget, not only are you called to have authority, but you're also called to submit to Christ. And in fact, you can only walk in true authority when you're also walking in submission to Christ. That's, that's where the balance comes from. Show me a man that's not submitting to, a Christ, to Christ. I'll show you a man that's out of balance. I'll, in fact, I'll show you a man that knows nothing about real authority. You want to you balance yourself. You've got you to balance between authority over your wife and submission to Christ. That's where, that's where God's design comes from. See, when a man and woman do this, it testifies that they believe that God knows best, even if they don't understand it. I don't understand it all. I don't understand why God chose to say, this is the way it's going to be. But I trust Him, and I believe Him. And if He says, this is the way I've designed it, this is the best way you can put my attributes on display for the world, then I want to walk in that. Now, with all of that said, Paul knows how wrong-headed people can be, especially men. Right, he knows that. He knows all that stuff I just said, they got a real chance they'll go run with that and totally mess it up because that's just human nature, right? So he closes with this. Look at verses 11 through 14. He says this, "Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman, for just as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman." and all things are from God. Now, he accomplishes three things in these verses. First, Paul urges that women and men are to maintain their gender roles in harmony. See, that's the point of saying that women are not independent of men and men are not independent of of women. Okay, this isn't tyranny. In fact, we said this last week. Authority and submission are, are supposed to come out of love, right? The son loves the father. The father loves the son. So the son submits to the father. Jesus said, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of the Father. I'm here to do His will, what He wants. In the same way, in the marriage relationship, the husband loves the wife, the wife loves the husband. It's a a role, it's an authority and submission that comes out of love, not tyranny. And that's what Paul wants us to see. This should be done in, in harmony. You're not independent of each other. In a lot of ways, you're dependent upon each other. Second, though Paul has acknowledged that the woman was made for the benefit of the man... He now makes the point that apart from women, there wouldn't be any more men, right? And see, in the men, in the end, all men come into the world now through a woman. Where before the woman came into being through the man, now he says, God says, okay, I've ordained it that now the women are going to give birth to the the men. In fact, when you really think about it now, who shapes a man to begin with? Who has the first ability to shape what a man is going to become? What kind of man he's going to grow up to be? Who is it but his mother? I mean, every man born into the world has to come now from a a woman. She may be submissive to her husband, but in the end, women are the ones who, for the most part, have have the ability to shape that man from the very beginning. And see, that's how God harmonizes. That's how God balances the roles. And in fact, when you really think about it, who has the power now? To, if men need to change and be different, who has the power to do that? Isn't it the woman? Isn't it the mother? Isn't it the one who has the first ability to shape that, that young man? Thirdly, by stating that all things come from God, Paul is reminding everyone that their gender roles are God-given. See, that's, if you're here today and you're a man, you didn't earn that. You didn't ask for that. You didn't deserve that. It was just given to you. Same thing with with a woman. See, I didn't ask to be the one that kills the cockroaches in the house. I I didn't ask for that, right? See, that's the thing in our house. The women don't kill the cockroaches. The men get out of bed and go kill the cockroaches if one is found in the middle of the night, right? The other day, Kathy was... The men's the one... uh, We had a thing where one of our sheep... Kathy thought one of our sheep died. And she said, well, I didn't want to go... Dig the grave and dig a hole and bury it. And I said, well, and you think I do? And she said, well, you're the man. Well, she's right. <laughs> That's my job, to dig the hole and bury because I'm the I didn't ask for that. You didn't ask to be a woman. I didn't ask to be a man. See, our roles are God-given, right? They're God-ordained. And the fact is, we, we need to understand that. So men should hold their authority under God, and women are submit to men under God. No one is to regard himself or herself as autonomous. Finally, Paul says this, verse 13, Judge for yourselves. He says, all right, I've said all of this stuff. You judge for yourself. He says, you make a judgment. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Now, he's got one more argument to make, and then we can move off of this subject. He's got one more argument to make. Look what he says in 14 and 15. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. All right. What does this mean? Man, it's getting hot in here. What what does this mean? Paul is saying that there's something in nature, there's something in our physiology, there's something in our anatomy... Of the human race that teaches us that men are to have short hair and women are to have long hair. Okay, now what could that what could that be? What could he be? What could he be talking about here? Aristotle, Aristotle, who lived I don't know twenty five hundred years ago, a long time ago. Aristotle said this. This is really interesting. I've never seen a bald child, a bald unit, or a bald woman. That's interesting, isn't it? Aristotle says, I've never seen a bald child, I've never seen a bald woman, and I've never seen a bald eunuch. Now, what is the one thing... Think about this for just a second. He lived 2,500 years ago. He didn't know anything about physiology. He didn't know anything about anything. And he said he made that statement. Now, think about this. What is one thing that a child, a woman, and a eunuch all have in common? Anybody? Well, hair, yeah. But why? They're not men, so what are they missing in their body that makes them not men? Anybody? Okay, they're missing testosterone. That's exactly right. So, so a child doesn't have testosterone, a eunuch doesn't have testosterone, and a woman doesn't have testosterone. You see, the fact is, if you go look at it up and you go see what causes men, if you ever, it is it is naturally proven, scientifically proven that men's hair does not grow as fast as women. Men's hair doesn't grow as, for the most part, doesn't grow as thick as women. Men's hair falls out quicker than women. It's just natural. You just, I'm not saying that there's not certain cases where, where women don't lose their hair, but for the most part, across nature, women do not go bald. And a whole lot of men do. And if you go look why, it's all about testosterone and estrogen. So testosterone is converted into a hormone called DHT and certain men have hair follicles that are sensitive to DHT and when that DHT gets created in a man, their hair follicles start to shrink and eventually they just quit produce, They won't produce hair at all. But that doesn't happen in women because they don't have testosterone and in fact, on the other end, estrogen actually helps a woman's hair grow faster and stay in their head longer and that leads to thicker and fuller hair. And Paul says, doesn't even nature teach you that a woman is to have... her, her hair is given to her... See, God, see, see, this is what just amazed me. God designed that. That's not evolution. Don't believe in that mess. That's, that's not evolution. That, God designed that. He designed a woman to keep her hair. He designed a woman with a divine, natural covering. That's what Paul's saying. Doesn't even nature teach you that? And then the poor old men are running around bald as a cucumber. And I don't know if that means i got estrogen or what. I, I've been struggling. I've been kind of struggling with that this week. But anyway, Paul goes on saying, verse 16, If anyone is inclined to be contentious... In other words, he says if anyone wants to argue about this... That's what he's saying. If you're inclined to be contentious, if you think you want to argue about this, he says we have no such practice nor do the churches of God. What he's saying is, nobody else practices throwing off their head coverings. Nobody else is cutting their hair. Nobody, you're not going to find any support amongst the apostles. You're not going to find any support amongst the, the elders. You're not going to any, find any support among the, the other churches of God. So evidently, something was happening at Corinth that wasn't going on in the other churches. And he said, if you want to argue about this, you're not going to find support among the apostles, among the elders, or among, among any, anybody else, okay? And so he said, just don't, don't argue about it. Now, here comes the kicker, and this is what kind of makes this difficult. How do we apply this to our lives? What is something that was written to something that was going on in a Corinthian church 2,000 years ago? How does that, how does that affect us today? How do we, how do we apply this uh, to our lives? This is difficult because things have changed, have they not? I mean, women cut their hair now. It's not seen the way it was 2,000 years ago. Uh, we don't wear veils. We don't wear uh, scarves or head coverings anymore. It's not, it's, it's, a sim, it's not seen the same way as it was. And you can see how culture changes. I was talking to Erwin this morning about, about hats, right? I mean, when I grew up, if you walked into a, a building and kept your hat on, somebody would jerk that thing off your, your head in a heartbeat, right? I mean, you just did not do that. But, it, but, but now, kids wear hats in school. I mean, it's just not the same anymore. You can see culture change, I, I'm sure. See, think about, go back, I don't know when, when women started wearing pants, but let's just go back 60, 70 years ago, whenever it was. I don't know when it was. But let's just go way back. See, I think there was a time that probably wearing pants was a symbol. Don't you think? We're not wearing dresses anymore. We're going to wear what we want to wear, right? And I think at that time, it probably was applicable to the church that probably I could have sat here and said, ladies, you don't need to wear pants. But see, that's changed, has it not? It's not a symbol anymore. See, so, so what we don't want to get into is, if I say men have short hair, ought to have short hair, well, what does that mean? What's short? Does that mean I've got to have it over my ears? Does that mean we all got to have marine cuts? Does that mean it's got... See, if you start going down that road, where does it end? What about beards? What about mustache? If I say a woman has to have long hair, what does that mean? Does that mean it's got to be at her waist? Are we going to get out a, a, a measuring stick? You see what I'm saying? See, the Bible doesn't want to go there. That's that's not the point. We don't ever want to go down down that road. So how do we apply this to our lives? Well, let me say a couple things here. First of all, one thing we learn from this is that cultural symbols matter. Let me say that again. Cultural symbols matter. Now, now we know dress is cultural. We have to keep that in mind. What, what's done in one culture is not done in another culture. Things change. We have to adapt to that. That's not, that's not the point here. And in today's culture, we no longer view a woman's length of hair or her wearing of a veil or a head covering as a sign of submission. That's, that's not even a thing anymore. Those are personal choices, and it's not something we should use to judge someone's spirituality. But in today's message, or in passage, Paul confirms the rightness of following a cultural mandate. You see, in that day, to cut her hair or dispense with her head covering would send the entirely wrong message to the culture at large. And Paul says that's wrong. Don't, don't do that. So what would be an example for today? I'm not sure. Probably the best thing I could come up with would be a woman taking a man's name. That's probably the best example I can come up with. That in our culture, it's normal. It's considered the norm, and it has been for a long time, that when a man, a woman marries a man, she takes his name. That, that's a symbol, right? That, and really, it's a symbol that, that I'm, I'm, I'm giving up, right? I'm giving up my name. I'm giving up, and I'm stepping under his name. I'm being joined to him. We are now one. But now, one what of what's happened in our culture today, what's the symbol that we're not going to do that anymore? What are women doing? They're hyphenating their name. Now, and you can't tell me when you meet a woman and she's got a hyphenated name, does that tell you, right or wrong, does that say something about her? Yes or no? Yes, it does. See, that's the point. That's the point right there. If If, if your culture has a symbol... Now... A hundred years from now, hyphenated names might not mean anything. Are you with me? It may be so normal that nobody even knows. They just think that's not—it's not—that's not a deal anymore. But today, it is a—that's a symbol, and that's probably the best one that I can come up with. I remember this is a nice little story. Years ago, uh, I knew a guy, a young man. I was probably—I was probably in my thirties. So this is twenty, twenty-something years ago. I met a young man and. He, he met a girl and they were going to get married, and, uh, but uh, she didn't want to take his name. And, um, but she didn't want a hyphenated name either. I don't remember what his name was. But she didn't want to take his name, didn't like his name or whatever. She didn't want to take his name, but she didn't want to go through life with a hyphenated name. So I'm not making this up. They just went out to a book and picked out a new last name. They just picked it out, just came up with a completely, and I'll never forget, this the last name. I don't know why this stuff sticks with you. It was some, it, their last name was Cavendish. They picked that name. And they went out and legally had their name, both of their names changed. And uh, I'll never forget, he said, well, what do you think about that? I said, well, the first thing I think is you need to go back out the door and put your pants on and come back in it's the first thing I told him. And he got all upset about that. But anyway, but, but again, everybody see what I'm saying? Cultures change, right? They move on. But there's, 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 that Paul's saying if your culture has a certain symbol, a certain outward thing that shows that the submission and authority role, then he said abide by that. Show people, walk in that. That, that stuff matters. So, what's the principle here? The principle here is that women should conform in whatever manner to the, that which society says is the mark of a modest and submissive woman. That's what Paul is saying. Whatever society says. I, so don't, you don't have to go out and buy a veil. You don't have to go out and buy a head covering. But just think about what, what, what signals am I sending to society. By the way, men, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Listen, this is a side thing, and I won't go down here very far, but I was in a church not too long ago that had a woman pastor. I don't know any other way than just to say this. That is a no-no that is completely and irrevocably wrong. Because it Why? Because it sends a completely wrong message. And in fact, show me any denomination that ordains women pastors, and I'll show you a denomination that is running from the Word of God. Not only have they stepped away from the Word of God there, but I'll show you denominations that stepped away from the Word of God in other areas as well. And they're going downhill, and they're going quick. You just cannot do that. God has designed it a certain way, and He wants us to put that on display, especially, especially in this house. Does that make sense? Especially here, people should see God's design the way it's been been intended. So the word that Paul gives to the church, simply stated, is this. Look, whatever standard your society sets up as the way in which you manifest a submissive spirit You abide by that standard so that society knows you are following a God-ordained pattern. That's what Paul is saying. In other words, men don't seek to look and act like a woman. And women don't seek to look and act like a man. Maintain the distinctions of your gender. And when you do that, God is glorified. God is glorified. And in the end, that's what it's all about. Let's pray. Father... We thank you for 1 Corinthians 11. We know this is a difficult passage. Um, It's a difficult passage for me to teach. It's a difficult passage sometimes to understand um, and accept. But I I know, God, every heart in this room, we want to glorify you. That is in our heart. We want to bring glory to you. So help us, Lord. Help us as men to, to walk in authority, but to do it the right way. Help us to walk in authority as we submit... To Jesus Christ and balance that out so we can walk in authority with love and tenderness and, and humility. Help us to be that. For women, Lord, help them walk in their roles. Help them to, to love their husbands, to, to submit to their husbands, but to do it a way that helps their husband be the man that they should be. God, only you through the Holy Spirit can harmonize a marriage. Only you can do that. Only you can make us into the the united one that we are supposed to be. So we turn it all over to you. Holy Spirit, if I've said anything here today that was wrong or out of place, I ask you to forgive me, and I ask you that, that no one hold offense, Lord, but you just somehow take the reality of this word, the reality of this message, and embed it in our hearts and change us, to be the men and women that we're supposed to be. We love you, we thank you, and we pray for our service today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank y'all.